Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. T-Town. We're going to be here in Tulsa doing our annual event on the prophetic. This year's theme is Disrupting Prophets of the Pagan Age Confronting the Darkness. If you don't want to know the truth, don't come here. If you want to be happy in your prophetic orb where all is well and God has no real enemies, we're probably not the event for you. But if you are a prophet, an apostle, a Christian in general who really wants to do something about pushing back the darkness but dismantling this entire agenda, dismantling the spiritual forces that keep it going, this is the event for you. If you want to come, let's see here. We have uh, Prophet Hakeem and Naeem Collins, Jeff Sievers, Chief Prophet Tala Price, Prophet Angela Yamiba, myself, Dr. Paula Price, of course. Hello, that's why she is the big picture on the flyer, is the host of the event, the author of the Prophet's Dictionary. For those of you who are watching and you have the Prophet's Dictionary and you didn't know, she wrote it. She wrote it, all of it. When I met her, I was like, well, what's the Prophet and what's the Dictionary for a Prophet? I didn't even understand why. Why do we need this? I didn't know. This was, you know, 20 years ago when I first saw the Prophet's Dictionary. It was absolutely confused because I was raised evangelical, and the concept didn't even make sense to me. But I was so curious, I kept digging until it made sense. And that might be you. Don't use the excuse, oh, this is too deep. Oh, I'm not really familiar. Oh, I don't know, as a reason not to jump in. That's the reason to jump in both feet register go to drpaulaaprice.com today click on events at the top and it will take you to our event page on the site which will redirect you to our event right page and you can see the different options we are having our near global prophetic company ordination at this event we have trainings 
It is called a training institute, which means you have to bring your brain and not just your spirit to it, okay? Not just your spirit man, but your natural man and his or her mind needs to come. You will be trained. If you can type, I highly recommend you bring your laptop because you're going to take notes. If you do better writing, bring a thick notebook. Don't bring that little 20-page one. You're going to have that by our opening slides. And we have a running joke that Dr. Price could teach an entire day on two slides. And then say, oh, now it's time for me to get to my, to my presentation. We're like, what? My mind is blown, leaking out of my ear. I need to go take 10 breaks and two naps. And you're talking about you're just scratching the surface on why we came? Are you kidding? This is the richest environment. You know why? Because you're away from your world. You're away from distractions. You can turn that phone down or off, put it in your bag, and you have to because we also don't allow recording. So you need to put that away, and you can focus in academically, spiritually, your soul, your mind. All of you gets treated while you are here. So many of you already have friends and family in near, near Apostleship Restitution, New Era Apostleship Restitution, that you are like, it's a family reunion. The hotel loves seeing us in the lobby because it's like, hey, and hi, and wow. They're like, man, you guys really do love each other here. We do. So you want to come. TPTI, Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute, this year, disrupting prophets of the pagan age, confronting the darkness. Because, guys, it's getting dark out there. And darkness is creeping in. And what used to be a far off, way off in the horizon, we, we thought, just like we used to say about having a black president, when pigs fly, we'll have a black president. You know, well, that happened. Scratch that off the list. What do we say? Oh, no, abortion will never go. And we're killing babies now, in and out of the womb. There's a lot of things we said. We, we would never imagine children, parents being taken to court because they're not identifying their children by the gender the kid prefers. We couldn't even imagine that type of legalized insanity in our country, yet here it is. So we have a, a, a whole agenda planned, and this darkness now, we're, we're far beyond the church. So much of what we've done over the years has been about our happy time church, zip code, that we've lost the world. But hey, fear not. He's overcome the world. All right. Now, today's audio archive. Oh, it's a good one. They're all good. And that's true. I say this every week because it's true every week. But the soul of success, understanding wisdom. This was actually done before, years, years, years before the soul of success as it is packaged now. <clears throat> but the building blocks and the pieces and the elements were taught. So she teaches on Solomon. Oh, boy. And she goes in on Solomon. As Dr. Price, and only Dr. Price can, where she teaches, I mean, she taught on Job. We came back to Job, we don't know how many times. We were like, what? Really? Wow. I never knew that. I never saw that. And then the Garden of Eden. You know, largely we skip over Eden. I mean, we do that in the beginning. God made everything. And we're just going to sum it up in that. He made everything. And then they ate the fruit and fell. And then they realized they didn't have any clothes on. And that was that. No. No. We have come back and forth to that. So with Solomon, she makes a statement. She makes several, but one of them is wisdom starts with excellent knowledge, not just every piece of information. 
<laughs> and so many times we think we're wise because we know information and we can quote information and all this. I said this and no. And so she went on to talk about that. But she made a statement about Solomon. She said, when your gift means more to you than your calling, you'll pervert everything God has. I was like, drop the mic. And I didn't even have a mic in my hand, but wow, wow, wow. How do people get perverted? Their gift means more to them than their calling. And I'm going to have you listen to the teaching to get the rest of that revelation. Let's get the television turned on here. All right, and she talked about the battle of the will, the Lord's will, the devil's will, and your will. And how when you are all in on God's will, it doesn't matter what the devil wants for you, you're not moved. And even you bring your own will under subjection. And she talks about the power that you gain when your will is lined up with God's, no matter what Satan says, and nothing can stop you. And your whole world, that's why you see people, their whole world is blowing up, and they're like, oh, no, but God's in control. And other people who don't have his eyes are like, what are you talking about? You lost your house. Your family wrote you off. You did whatever. Another excellent piece, and she said, the patient in spirit is better than the pride in spirit. And she pinpoints the statements that we make that are really pride talking, not what I thought. But, hey, I've done my part in part A. And you get an A. I get an A. Yes, you do. A is for Apostle Ashley. If A is, A and A is, I pass the class. No, 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 Apostle Ashley, double A. Double A. Yes, double A. And now, the price is right. Yes. It is my pleasure, it is my honor to introduce the woman with the name on her show. Yes. Paul Price, Dr. Paul Price. Is that what gives me away? Every time. Okay. <laughs> First of all, I want to thank God for being here. I absolutely love this show. I love doing this every week. I said to God, Jesus, you know, I really love doing this for you. And it's true. I do. And he loves me doing it. So every Thursday I wake up. And I said, well, me and the big three, okay, God, what are we doing today? Because we're going to rip something, I know it. Because God is in the mood to rip and tear down things. <laughs> Isn't he something? Because, yeah. you know, the interesting thing about God, many of you all don't know, like you said, well, why didn't God move? And God's like, well, why didn't you all move? Uh-huh. He said, you all just let things just sweep your way. We've been on a cruise. You know, we literally have been on a, a, a global cruise where, where – Everything God has been wiped away. Thank you. That makes me feel so much better. She understands. And so I just want to say to you that I'm excited about doing this for God. But why doesn't God move? God doesn't move because he, God is like, I could do anything. I could tear down your whole planet. You know how long it would take me to put it back together again? Do you realize the revelation said that I did not replace earth, um, I did not restore earth, I replaced it? You know, you've got a lot of decisions out there talking about there's a new earth, there's another version of earth that God's going to replenish this. That's not happening. So God already has the replacements in the wind. That's his nature. So why doesn't he fix it? He doesn't fix it until someone can keep it and then disseminate it, institute it, secure it. You see, God has to have a reason because God cursed idleness. So because he cursed idleness, you can rest assured that he not, he's not doing anything idly. And, and so we, God's not ready to move. He now has all that he wants for this dispensation to come out. I saw something. This is a wonderful vision. This ought to scare pagans. Um, 
<laughs> you know, I spend every night with the Lord Jesus Christ in ways that can't even be spoken. I understood what Paul said, you know, that it could be uttered. And so you, if you don't spend that time with God, then you, you think earth's in control. So I had a vision two weeks ago, and I saw, um, I saw a lion, and he was huge. This lion was huge, and, and his feet were on the ground, but he stood on his hind legs, and he reached above the sky, the clouds. And I mean, he was up, up, and he was beautiful, radiating, you know, all these gorgeous hues. Because you know, when Jesus shows up, you get all the colors. And so, he's and so he's on his knee, up on the ground, standing up on his hind legs, and he's ripping down clouds. And I mean, he's tearing clouds down. He, this lion is mauling, mauling the clouds. And I said, wow. And so what happened was, while he was mauling it. I hear in the background, Ron Canoli's Tear the Devil's Kingdom Down. So if y'all want to dig that out of the archives and dust it off, because that's what he's doing now, then you all need to um, go ahead on and enjoy that. And so these clouds were being, I mean, they were being decimated. And he, all by himself, there was this lion, clouds all by himself, and he's ripping them to the ground. They are dying. And so this is like the next leg of a series. I'm going to um, record a series of how this journey for uh, us getting here began in what we call the hard reset, how it began for me in 2000. And I'm going to record the visions, et cetera, because I want to put it together for the event. And we're going to talk about what God is doing. Now, understand, I didn't say Pastor Jesus. I did not say Lamb Jesus. I did not say on the cross, Jesus. I didn't even say <clears throat> on the throne, Jesus. I said the lion has entered this realm. Because you see, you, we, humans, you look at your friends who are in New Age and all of that, and you really think that they're, they're in charge because you buy into their delusion. But see, there's too much in life that's out of human's control for us to think that we're in control. And so... Whenever earth gets out of humanity's control, which is what God ordained, and devils would start acting as if it was given to them and that the cross didn't happen. See, God is always reinforcing the cross. Satan is always reenacting before the fall and before the cross. So he's always trying. That's why you're hearing all this stuff about BC gods. We got all these 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 movies and channel because they really think that those de- those demons are, are still running free, but they're not. They work for Jesus. The only reason we got demons is because people are born unsaved and unregenerate and ignorant of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, having the spirit and the soul. That's the only reason why. Because when God gets the number of people He wants saved, born again, there won't be any demons. They just won't. That's what the thousand-year reign is all about, God having gotten the senses of redeemed souls, the redeemed lives that he wants, because God's in control. And I'll tell you something, you, when you watch the news, you want to go crazy, and the Holy Ghost said, ah, that's done. Done? God didn't say it's going to happen tomorrow. No, it won't. That's done. I'm done with that. And I'm the one, you know, a, a, a real apostle is going to tell you Jesus Christ's authority over Satan. He's going to tell you that Satan's a creative being. And it was created as a cherubim, not an archangel. He self-promoted. 
which is what he's still doing. A real apostle is not going to tell you you need to be afraid and all of that. A real apostle is going to tell you how to navigate this world as the new creature in Christ Jesus. That's what we're going to tell you. And we're going to tell you why he's defeated. And the real apostle is going to tell you why sin is a problem for the new creature in Christ Jesus because it throws you back under the law of Moses. It throws you back under the spirits that are ordained to superintend fallen flesh. See, God, holiness is not about you not being able to wear your tight, raggedy jeans. Okay? That's not what it's about. It's not about you being able to wear your little yoga pants with, with no underwear. Because, see, it, when you think about it, that's an embarrassing statement on an adult who thinks that's a priority. See, the priorities of your life are lewdness and lust and libertinism and licentiousness and lasciviousness. Yeah, I got a class on that. If that those are your priorities and those are your statements, your stand in Christ. That's a shame. That's embarrassing. That's what kids did. We went, we went through that in elementary school. Playing with your stuff, kissing any girl at the ground. We did all of that. That's why we grew up. But see, we became adults, but not mature. So God comes in and he says, I know y'all think that's it because that's how you come into this world under Satan's um, regime. But understand, my regime is over here. Before there was darkness, there was light. See, darkness was on the face of the deep, but darkness wasn't in creation. So light has its own home source. So while we, you, you, all of y'all walking around, and I, I mean, I watch you, some of the stupid things you say on Facebook, and like you, were, you read your Bible, you can't even find it, the thing is all dusted up, and you've only got a third of it, I just got the Gospels, I just got the epistles, I just got the, and you're going to argue with somebody who does this for a living. That's like saying because you're a good street fighter, you're ready for mixed martial arts. <laughs> yeah. You can beat those in your neighborhood, not in the industry. And there's a difference between neighborhood and industry. See, because the industry best and your neighborhood best, not the same. And so you come at us like you all, like you really got something and all you got is your contaminated soul spewing what you are defending because you didn't know better. So we always get your, I didn't know better rhetoric. I didn't know that. You won't say I didn't know it. You'll say, I don't care. You'll say, well, I, that's what I feel. Baby, you feel you shouldn't die. Guess what? You got a day of death coming, and your feelings won't matter. You don't feel you should get a cold, medicine cabinet full of stuff. You don't feel you should have a weight issue. You don't feel like fire should burn you. There are a whole lot of feelings that you have reconciled in this life. <laughs> Y'all reconcile a lot of feelings. Reconcile you're not as tall as you want to be. You're not as thin as you want to be. You reconcile you're not the color you want to be. Reconcile your hair doesn't turn out the way you want it to turn out. Reconcile that people should like you just because. And you know what? You've reconciled it. You've reconciled all of the inevitabilities and then absolutes in your life. Because I love when they say there are no absolutes. So I got smart with God. I said, you know, in the beginning was the word is a powerful thing, and I'm going to do a real extensive teaching on it. I'm going to have them pull together my teachings on the power of God's word because I got an article from Prophet Tamira, and she gave me one about words and science and whatnot, and it's what I've been teaching for like 30 years. But that's, I digress. 
But I want you to understand, you have reconciled every absolute, and then you go to school to, to blind philosophers and professors who tell you that there are no absolutes. Now, you're living with absolutes. Like, if you absolutely don't go to class and absolutely don't do your homework, you absolutely will fail, and that school absolutely will not care about your philosophy. Absolutely. <laughs> Coffee! Let's sip. If you go out and decide to run a red light and hit somebody, you will absolutely cause a collision, absolutely fail, absolutely go to jail, absolutely have a hard life, and a family will absolutely be deprived of their level. Absolutely. See, so when people try giving me that kind of thing, I'm, I'm like, first of all, I'm going to look at you. How old are you? I'm 52. Do you, do you want to look like you did at 23? Yes, absolutely you can. Absolutely. That's an aging is absolute. Failing flesh, absolute. I look at my pictures when I was 23, and I say, boy, well, and that's when we start adding the tag for our age. You look good for your age. <laughs> I really love that Cindy Crawford commercial about the makeup and stuff. And they, they, they tell you, because they know they're talking to the blind, because those that can see are like, yeah, no, that's not quite it. And they have her 20, 28 or whatever, and, and the age she is now, or 40, and you look at them, and they, look, and, and they want you to look at her flawless skin, not the drooping eyes. Absolutely, age is still taking off. Not that the forehead has fallen, because you know your forehead, your forehead falls. Age, Absolutely. So then they got smart, and they started talking about the moral absolutes. Well, moral just simply means, I love that. When God is a thinker, boy, that man is, woo, mm, sugar, but let me get a sugar pot, Jesus. man. And you know he knows it, too. And so now I realize they're right. There are no moral absolutes because morality is not what God instituted. Morality is what the majority of a population agrees with, and they can change their mind. So, I've killed the moral absolute myth. It's your absolute, so of course it's not absolute. Because God doesn't use morality in Scripture. He uses righteousness. And and creation has absolute laws of righteousness and absolute right laws. Isn't that good to know? I love hanging with this man. Jesus is looking for somebody to just let him talk. We, we, he wants to answer these issues, but we keep telling him the answers from the fallen man and fallen demons and seducing devils and doctrines and tell you know. So we keep giving him those creature answers and then try to hold him to the creature answers as the creator. Meanwhile, God knows that in three years, what you're fighting for today is going to be exposed, destroyed, discredited. He already knows that. And you you slamming and wrestling with him like you got it going on because you got all so-and-so's tapes and all so-and-so's uh, teachings and every one. And you watch Christian television all day long and see the same thing, same, same, same scriptures. We haven't grown because they, they won't let God talk. So when he spends time with me, I let him talk. And, 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 and I'm surprised that when he speaks, he's like this this powerful, ignored man who would just like to be listened to. 
And so he'll talk to me. That's how I got before the garden. He just felt like talking. All right, listen. And you know what he does when he really knows that you're going to pay attention to him and value what he says? He changes your brain. And that little spot that they give, the little pineal gland that they that, that the um, pagans and the New Agers talk about, no, he floods your whole brain with light. He gives you brand new transmitters and brand new synapses to take what he says because what he says has no place in your brain. So your natural mind is at enmity with God, and we preach that so many years that people are like, well, my try. So I mean, because when you just preach half the story, you get to the semicolon, you know, the comma the dash. So when you get to that point and then you act as if it's a period, then people stop trying. An apostle's job is to make you reach. You're supposed to feel uncomfortable because it's supposed to goad you and motivate you to come up in God and to earn the upgrade that he has for you. God has, I mean, this man has supreme upgrades that he wants to give, abilities that can't happen in the new creation because you keep telling him that the, the way we have devised his institution and adapted it to our world, our limitations, our mortality is right and he's wrong. How dare he expect you to be better in a world that you had to fix for him? Did you like that? See, I, I, every day he's talking to me about the new creature in Christ Jesus every day. This thing is important to him. This is what he couldn't do with the early church, which is why he can talk about greater works. Paul understood it because God took Paul into his world. And when he got there, Paul saw a version of humanity that was nowhere near ready to be manifested on earth. So he came back and he wrote it down. I know they tell you they don't pay attention to Paul's writings. That's because they didn't. But listen, it is your new creature benefits that are on the line. If you want the upgrade, you have to go by the rules and go by the law because God has this thing packaged. And so the package that he has is, in fact, the resurrected Jesus Christ because the package that he was replacing, in fact, came to earth as the incarnated Jesus Christ. Do you understand? We don't have another model. God has no greater model of his species than his first begotten son. There is no other model. You either conform to that or you go to hell. It's not, it's not a, a, up for discussion. God's not going to change. You don't even know the model, and you're already attempting to dis- discredit it because you're listening to the one that couldn't live up to the model. See, Satan never banked on the fact that he would be bound to darkness, put out of his world forever, bound to earth, and 100% subject to the superlative light, the supremacy of the Almighty that he rejected. He didn't plan to do that. He planned to get a species. He planned to take humanity from its creator, to take creation from its creator. What he didn't get, blessed be God, I What he didn't get is that creation was not the code he thought. Creation actually is a person. Hallelujah. Creation is a being. That's why there are certain things they're not going to do and other things God's going to allow in his bottom self, baser self. 
you know, where he dumps stuff even more. So you can talk all the rhetoric you want about you can wear your little nasty jeans, you can wear your little come come to church with your little short pants on and cut up and all sucked up in your crotch. You can do all of that. The problem is it's Adamic. And Adam was prevented from coming back into everlasting life. And in order to avoid that, you forgot to come into Christ. And in Christ, I'm telling you, there's holiness. Jesus Christ is not going to let you in heaven. I don't care. See, we don't talk about heaven. Because preachers stop talking about heaven because you got scared and thought, well, I can't make it because they didn't know how to help you get there. I can't. I can tell you the plan. I can map it out for you. I can tell you that plan genetically. I can tell you that plan somatically, which is your body, psychologically, pneumatologically. I can go there with you because it's a man. See, you are trying to literally push back on a religion that you think belongs to a man who doesn't have a religion. See, Jesus does not have a religion. He has citizens. And citizens have a realm. And for us under the last Adam, because, see, you came into the planet under the first Adam. Can I say that? You know, I love saying it. God, I just love it. I can preach this gospel up the front and down the back because I'm not trying to remember all of those theologies you got to learn in school and all of that earth stuff. I don't have to do that. Y'all already did that. I'll just read your book, pick out what fits and go on. I preach like the Apostle Paul whom you all are trying to be taught to discredit, I preach Christ Jesus and him crucified. And we act like Paul began with the epistles, but my Bible said Paul began with the book of Acts. Acts 9. And from Acts 9 onward, and that's not even talking about Theophilus who said that Paul was his mentor. Paul is the apostle that God brings into the world to come. And he went to God's world. God literally catapulted him into the future by taking him out of earth, because, you know, earth is time and space bound. So he took him into the future, brought him into his realm, that, and let him see and taste all that he was about to suffer for. Because apostles cannot suffer for Jesus Christ if they do not have that visitation encounter, because they don't see the purpose. They just don't. So they're all going to have a little mix of this, a little bit of that, because they're going to do it. And mostly they're going to end up falling into the, literally, the institutional church instead of the eternal age to come. I keep saying, and I will continue to say, apostles were not just killed because they preached a gospel that we understand. What we have today is greatly diminished. Because, see, those apostles gave the whole council. Those kings got upset. Those existing powers got upset. Devils got upset and demons got upset. And they preached it until their message was emptied, at which point they were martyred. But as long as that message, they had some dispensation in them, hallelujah, they stayed alive. Now, they were abused, but that was an abuse of the era. Everybody was abused, man. We had no lights. We had no motors and no engines. That was a very abusive age anyway. The sweetness came from the Holy Ghost entering the planet and then baptizing it with the, the grace of Jesus Christ. So his 
grace, the same grace that made him stop being Yeshua, knocking everybody else, I mean Yahweh, and become Yeshua so that he could save our souls. Hallelujah is what the Holy Ghost brought, brought to the planet. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's what the Holy Ghost, he, the Holy Ghost brought the kingdom of heaven, a measure of the kingdom of heaven to earth. Oh, somebody let me hit the table of sin concerning life. I love this man. I love the gospel. I love his history. I love the pre-carnate story. And I love his pre-carnate record. I love his incarnate record. Oh, I just love him. He's just a sweetheart. Because when you, when he pulls you out of the darkness, your eyes automatically start registering the rules and the truth of light. So there's a, a light truth and a truth light that we meet. And so he goes and Paul witnesses just like those apostles, we assume that the apostles had all their classes in case. If he took all, he took Peter, because they all came back describing a world that was not. Where'd they get that from? And see, if you've not been in Jesus' presence for him to educate you, you absolutely cannot imagine how omnidimensional and omnific his educational process, methods, and tools are. Jesus is not going to give you something that you don't know and say, figure it out. He's going to give you something that you don't know and then give you the brain power and the transmitter to process it and then give you a place to put it in your memory. And then after that, he's going to breathe on it and give you the wisdom to know what to do with it because he's going to take that knowledge and immediately connect it to your heart through your soul. You see, because it comes up. Now, that's what he did externally. He said, but I'm going to be on the inside of you guys, so guess what? You're going to know a lot of stuff that I have not taught in this world because I will be in you. And I can show you the kingdom from within because kingdoms are embodied by their monarchs. The king embodies the law, the life, the people. Their legitimacy. There's a whole lot. We don't know kings yet. We still playing. We're still playing because we still got that pageant mentality about royalty. It's just a pageantry. You know, we all stunned. The woman have a baby and she looks like she had one. Yeah, who well, you thought they lived and pushed it out? Because <laughs> we have that pageant mentality, that ceremonial mentality. We don't have what it takes, that, that fight, that, that resolve, that unusual physiological, psychological makeup that makes you keep fighting when, when losing is all you do because something inside you says your destiny is in the win and not in the failure. So he shows Paul all of his realm like he did Enoch. And Enoch spent so much time with Jesus Christ after he, the Lord introduced himself and drew him into relationship, because God's got to draw you into relationship with him. And he has a relationship sphere in his being that does not extend itself freely to anybody. So he brings you into the relationship. He said of Moses, he brought Moses into a friendship. He brought David into kinship, which is why he could be king. He brought Abraham into his prophetic friendship. I need somebody to talk about 
And so God has to bring you into that place in him. He has to do it because he wants to form the bond and the relationship. He created you for that. But he also created some people with no resistance to him. There are people he allows you to enjoy your free will. So when you walk around talking about free will in Christ, I'm free in Jesus, understand that's because you were not ordained to be in a place of choice or chosen one. See, because God has chosen people for selected places in his being to comprehend a, an aspect of him, a, per, a side of his personhood and his purpose. He has a purpose. God has a purpose for keeping himself alive. I know that sounds weird, but he has a purpose. See, so while you you mouthing off about your purpose, God is saying you're disqualifying yourself for the intimacy that comes with appreciating his purpose. When you are chosen, all those people who are in uh, Scripture, they, they were chosen for a purpose, a purpose that 100% facilitated God's purpose for himself. Jesus came as a purpose. See, God talk, the Bible talks about purpose all the time because God has to bring you into your purpose. And some of you all, your purpose is with the people. Others, your purpose is with the leadership. Others, your purpose is with government. But there are those people who are actual um, change agents who embody God. God literally dumps his substance in them. He takes their autonomy away. He takes their individuality away. He takes away their independence. And he said, you have become an appendage to me. Not just an extension. Some people, they can't do it. The reason that uh, Mary works for Jesus is because she allowed him to take away all of her youthful young woman, free to do what she wants to do, will and, and, and desires, and he instead made her a slave to his desires and his delights. See, if you can't be his slave, then you cannot. Be his representative. Now, he will give you assignments because you have to separate what God handles personally versus what God has delegated to us that. That innumerable company of angels and virtues and graces and all of that. Isn't that good to know? Because we need people to help us understand. Some of you all out there, you are in that place and you can't tell a soul because everybody around you is too busy being happy with their free will and the extensions that God allows for them to exercise their free will in him. But when you are, the, you know, when we say the chosen don't get a choice, the reason you don't get a choice is because you were chosen before the foundation of the world and you were taken out of the choice stream and you were put into in the chosen stream. In other words, you can't help but think about Jesus differently. You cannot help but love the word of God. You just can't, no matter what. You absolutely love it. You cannot help but, but vote for Jesus. You cannot help but protect him and be consumed with his interest. And good. It's like, it, it, it's, 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 I would like to say second nature, but it isn't. How you were born is your first, is just your, your first nature, or, or rather your second nature, but how God transforms you with his substance. Not just with his essence and presence, his substance. You got all three. You got the essence, you got the presence, and you got the substance. And you can't help 
but do it God's way. You can't help but think about it. That's why you cut off friends. You stay away from people. You get upset when the family invites you to dinner because you know that they're going to pick at you because they're going to look at that substance and they're going to get upset because they barely got essence. And they're going to challenge the veracity of what you say. They're going to challenge the legitimacy of your, your statements and, and your existence because you are no longer a carrier. The word of God ceases to be your car- cargo and becomes your character, becomes your constitution. Most people don't get to the constitutional side of God. And I want you to understand so that, you know, I get those people who don't study. <laughs> Before constitutions were on paper, they were, on, they were in people. You've got a sturdy constitution, a rugged constitution. And then we took and we described, we defined and described that on a implement, a tablet, and that became to be the substitute for. Oh, somebody hear me! The substitute for the constitution of the people who founded whatever institutions, enterprises, and entities came from them. So our American Constitution is a description, an expression of what the people whose belief and, and whose makeup constituted would become a perpetuation of themselves in print. The Bible is a perpetuation of Jesus Christ in print because all founders and all monarchs and rulers rule from afar through their constitutions, through the writings, through the law, codes, and codices, and all of that. See, that's the kind of stuff we don't teach you, but that's what an apostle will teach you, which is why you've got to understand whether or not you are you're an apostle or an apostolic version of another fivefold. Coffee. See, a lot of these people are not apostles because they don't substantiate Jesus Christ. I know you like that, don't you? Go ahead. See, an apostle by, listen, not only by compulsion, which Paul talked about, it's impulsion, by impulse, by consciousness, by cognizance. They substantiate Jesus Christ because he doesn't leave them with, to rely on their Adamic facilities any longer. He switches them out, and he upgrades them to the last Adam. And that mind that was in him becomes the mind that is in us. So when we think about when we think about our Constitution, when we think about or, 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 or even being an apostle or an, a prophet or any message of the Lord, the measure of your sub- substance, because the Bible says the substance of all things is Christ. As we told, we're told in Colossians that the substance of all things is Christ. Not holding fast to the head. We are this man's body, but there are cells, in our, even in our body, that are rebellious. 
their cells and our body, their bacteria that's good, and then we have bacteria that's terrible. We've got virus, things growing in us, things that, that have been inseminated by food and by uh, consciousness, by experience, by touch and handling that are contaminated. We're all his body, but understand our body does something very interesting when it comes under attack. It throws all that is attacking it or it attempts to into its waste system, its waste and disposal system. So Jesus said, I'll vomit you out. See, everything about creation, the Christian should know, is about a being. The world is not privy to the superlatives of Jesus Christ, his superlative uh, wisdom, creatorship, sovereignty, messiahship, his biological, physiological, genetic constitution of all that he made. Jesus said that all live to God. So we say people die. Then we say they die simply because they cease to be in his body. In God's mind, they die because he has put them in the waste disposal system. He has removed them. So we, I know this is deep, but you know what? I'm talking to people who are or one day will be, who are apostolic or one day will be. And so you understand the reason that I can say this is because I listen. I didn't tell God what the scientist said and hypothesize and theorize and philosophize. I didn't tell him that. I said, I'm, I'm going to act like you, you are the self-existence one. So if you're the self-existent one, then I'm going to conclude that you had nothing else around to study, to build on, to build from but yourself. And only you know what that looks like. Only you know what it means. Only you know how it behaves. See, you all keep trying to convert God to fallen man, and God is not convertible. He will not convert to your way. He will eliminate you before he allows you to contaminate him, which is the work of holiness. Holy means safe, healthy for God's well-being. See, we think holiness is, okay, so I can't do this and I can't do that. Holiness is not about what you can't do. It's about what you're built to do and what you believe you should do with your construction and your place, your residence in the Almighty. See, that's holiness. So because when God was done with Satan, he kicked him out, and he kicked out his armies, and he kicked out his angels. Y'all didn't catch that. I got to hit something. So if he kicked him out for perverting himself within the being of the Almighty, what, where is your place? You know, Peter said, we're without righteous, scarcely appear. Scarcely. See, it's the scarcely. We look at appear. Because, you know, the, the upside, you know, the, the cheerleading part of the church, yeah, but we appear still, but scarcely. See, scarcely means that you don't come in center stage. And scarcely means that you are somehow or another distinguished from the citizens that have preceded you. I told this man I'm going to preach his gospel as long as I am on the planet. So when God decides to tell you you need this Bible, I've got a couple of things to share with you. But when he tells you you need to desire the sincere milk of the word, he's not talking about you being a good institutional Christian. He's talking about you being a good vessel for his glory. 
through which he can live his kingdom in this world. See, God wants to live his world in you, through you in this world. He wants you to convert every single day. Let's talk about Enoch one more time. Enoch, you know, from 1983 onward, God has just walked me through Enoch's life, etc. If you notice, Enoch, Job, he just walks you through the, the, the standout characters or the outstanding characters and figures in his history, in his record. So God has a history, has a record. And so he said, but do you realize? And I, was, I mean, I woke up one morning, we were commuting. He said, you, you know, um, I didn't touch Enoch till he was 65. I let him have children because I needed his sons and daughters to be in the planet and to be filled with what I poured into him. See, your kids are not always going to be a nuisance. One day, they're going to be expressions and manifestations. They're going to be naturalized citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so he said, but when, and when Enoch hit 300, I mean hit 65, he said, I began to bring him into my world. He became my companion, my student. Enoch was God's mentee in a world that hated him. You know, when you are the suckers of God, it's because you have proven yourself worthy during the mentorship stage. Some of you all are not good mentees to the Lord Jesus Christ. He can't mentor you in his world because you took this telling him something else. So Enoch was God's mentee in the planet. Isn't that good? God mentored him. In the world to come, he mentored him in his issues, and he was, he was also God's confidant because a good mentee, once matured, becomes the greatest confidant you can have. They comprehend you. They defend you. They secure you. And then ultimately they become you. When, when Enoch <coughs> excuse me, got to the end, of his mentorship process, you know, and I read the, I read the book, you know, there's a, you know, there's a book of Enoch, the front half of it is pretty safe, the back half, you can tell, was a disciple who wanted to prolong the experience. <laughs> and so, <coughs> I guess it's just water time, not bad enough coffee. Okay, I'm going to drink water. So it would be like, it would be as if I went home to be with the Lord and Apostle Ashley had all of these ideas that she really wished I would have taken, and she decides to go and make her own version of it and append it to what she was actually given. So anyway, God taught Enoch about eternity, about his world. His world. And he let Enoch come back and visit it and give it to his children and give it to his children. And he would give it to his son. And they talked about the origin of so many things, how the 12, the 12 gates for the son, now they become, those gates become, you know, the angels that handle the 12 gates, for, which is why we have 12 months. There's a whole lot in there. It's really great. And so, but it also talks about how death came into God's creation and what happened when those angels did not keep their first estate. They began to teach man how to make beer, mead. They taught him how to turn mead into an intoxicant. 
Because Satan had to teach him to live in his world. Because he couldn't, he could no longer teach him how to live in God's world. That would be counterproductive. You know, yeah, I'm going to get you ready to live with Jesus. No, 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 that's not what I'm going to do. So he taught about that. He taught about, taught them about drugs. He taught them about abuse, how to abuse their bodies, how to abuse themselves so that they could become willing and, and compatible vessels for the literal millions, probably billions of angels that he talked into leaving their first estate and their life in God's realm. So they, each one of them took on a piece of that, that death culture that Satan created that he literally germinated, well, I want to say first uh, generated and then germinated throughout all creation. So that's a whole other story. When you See, this is the stuff I share with my mentees because, see, I got mentees, and I don't share it with everyone, but I just, I'm getting to a point with this, and then we're going to move on. But so he taught them that, but one of the things that stood out in Enoch's book, that when, he was, when he, God was mentoring him, he showed Enoch how Satan taught men how to rip babies out of women. That's in Enoch. How to rip babies, in other words, how to how, obviously abortion. So, you know, we think it's, it's novel. We think it's new. But first of all, you all need to read all the other nations that do that have already legitimized what's been forced on us so that you can recognize it's not new. It's not new. And that other nations are literally, literally mentoring the United States to destroy itself. You know, you need to read about the, um, you know, read about the U.K., you need to read about what they do. I mean, you know, I've been there where um, in the 90s, um, homosexuality and all of that was done. We, had, we went to a restaurant with a little guy. He called himself something else. I mean, his name was James, and he comes there dressed up, etc., looking like a woman, and it's legal. See, that's 20 years ago. You need to think about China, Asia, and all of those other places because all of them were once world powers. And sex, drug, and idolatry took them out. There's no way somebody's going to tell me that, yeah, but that won't happen, happen to us. I don't know. It's like saying that the same 35, uh, you know, millimeter gun or, <coughs> or the same gun that killed 20 people won't kill you, even though it's shooting you to say what? See, that's, that, that's part of the delusion. But anyway, so God continues to mentor Enoch, for 300 years, three centuries, he mentors this man. And this man, every time, he's changing. He's gone from glory to glory and faith to faith and strength to strength so that one day he's going to be with the Lord. When Enoch was so full of the knowledge of good and evil, what Paul talked about in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14, he could no longer stay on the planet. His knowledge was so vast and so extreme that he could no longer stay with his family. Each time you grow in God, that's why your love of family and your idolatry of family will always keep you earthbound and world-minded. But every time God gave him something new, it, it, it upgraded his physiological self. It upgraded his emotional self, his mental, intellectual self. He was upgraded. And, 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 the, and the 
pain that was only like giving us something like a pinhead of, of activity began to be totally changed into the mind of Christ. And so God made Enoch super compatible with him. So he was a test case. See, you don't even read the scriptures the way God meant them. Enoch was a test case. Can someone born under the Adamic curse, steeped in the law of sin and death, and yet bound by it, be delivered from it, and purged of all of Adam enough to be incompatible with mortals? So God made Enoch incompatible with mortals and mortality. Once he had filled this man with all that he needed, I love it. I'm going to do a class one day, Lessons in Immortality. I'm going to talk because, you know, the Avenger comic book people do it, and they don't get they got, they start with They start with doom and then go into destruction and then tell you that this is the afterlife. Well, where do you think that's going to be located? I mean, they're talking about Valhalla. You know, Jesus is talking about something else. But when Enoch could no longer be in people's presence and people in his presence feel comfortable because of his total substantiation into Jesus Christ, into God's citizenry, God had to take him. So he went on one of his normal visits, you know, I'm sure he had vacations with God in God's world. I'm sure he had, you know, sabbaticals, 300 years. That's a whole lot of God that's pushing out all of your mortality, all of your soul corruption, all of your, your, your uh, decomposition. So he said he was no more. So he went there. He probably knew because God does not do things like that without telling people. Folks just don't like to act like God gives you advanced knowledge. But for most things, especially something that drastic, your dad's not coming back. That's a drastic move. So he would have surely had Enoch prepare his son for his permanent departure. And so he goes, and I'm sure by the time 300 years, they used to dad going off, okay, coming back with scrolls. But then he came back with all these scrolls. He came back with all of this information. He came back with a lot of stuff, and he taught them. And some were good mentees, which is why some of it still hung around all the way up to Jesus and Paul. So he had to prepare them. I'm not coming back this time, guys. Well, where are you going? Well, you know where I'm going. And if I know, because I know how it looks, this man turned into a whole other physiological being. If Moses being on the mountaintop had his face shining and radiate, how much more a man who walked and lived in two worlds. He literally had the privilege of enjoying dual citizenship as a creature of the Almighty. He lived, he had dual citizenship. He was on earth as a human, meeting whatever its requirements were, and exceeding them, I'm sure, to no end. And then he lived in heaven. So he had key, key to the world to come. Come and go as he pleased. Just come and go as he pleased. You know, you hear people talk about Enoch, they can't tell you much because you got to be with the man who changed him. 
<laughs> Hallelujah. You got to be with the man who changed him to understand what Enoch's prim- prim- uh, premises and his experience was. And so God wanted a buddy out of that generation before he destroyed the planet. So he took Enoch, who would be a record, who would have the records, the history, the knowledge, the information that literally vindicated God's drastic reaction to Satan's takeover of his planet. And his drastic reaction was the flood. Imagine how vile it was by the time the flood came, where human, human spirits were no longer their own, where human souls were literally primed, crafted, and conditioned by the very being that introduced sin and death in creation. So Enoch becomes his record. We come on down the line. We see that Moses, Moses has 120 years, 40 of them with God. Moses died because he kind of misused his powers and misapplied the praise for his powers. So he turned the people into him. And so you got to be very careful how you handle the when God gives you weighty privileges and weighty responsibilities and then back them with even greater weight or greater glory of, of his, his own abilities or your substance. When he glorifies your substance for his glory, it's for his glory. Are you all liking this? Are y'all following this? <laughs> you didn't even look at So Moses saw death, but he escaped hell. Isn't that good to know? So he made one mistake, but it was for God to let us know, don't mess with me, don't trifle with me. Now, Moses made that mistake young and dumb in terms of God. I mean, he's still 80-something, but in, in his whole career with Jesus Christ was brand new. And so he made that mistake when he was young, right after they came out, out of Egypt. He was on a high. I mean, come on, his emotions were riding high. He has seen God do some amazing things, take down a whole ancient nation, old Egypt. I'm telling you, and so he's hot, and so, but but he but he's also frustrated because he's got people who've not been brought in to his understanding. He has, these people may have been rescued, but they had yet to be transformed, so they didn't understand. And so as far as and and, and, the, and the blinders that people have before a little bit of light gets in them, even the light of the word is still dark. They don't see the logic. They don't see the reason. They don't see anything. All they know is their sensual self, their senses. Mm-hmm. Well, Moses, that was great, but, and you always got brother envy, because, you know, Satan needs envy, rivalry, ambition, and competitiveness. Wow. See, he needs those four to make sure you don't grow in Christ. That's what Enoch had to get rid of. God had to purge that out of him so he would not be bringing that into his world. See, God was committed to nothing that he cast out when he cast out the devil and his angels would ever reenter his world to, again in any form. See, you know, um, you know, uh, thought, idea, sentiment, perspective, intelligence. He didn't care. 
He like, I want none of that because God knows once something comes into existence, it breathes. And he did not want to rebreathe or re-inseminate his world with Satan's breed. I got to drink some water. So when we come back, we come down to Moses. Moses, is he's got all of this complex of emotions, which is a perfect cocktail for his, for his ego to take God's place or to assume God's role before the people. And so he said, must we bring water out of the rock? See, that was the problem. God didn't care about hitting the rock. He had told him to speak to it, but he couldn't live with him hitting it. But because Moses hit the rock, the people did not know that the God that just delivered him, delivered them, brought water out of the rock. They said, yay, go, Moses. You got to do the Red Sea, and now you got to come. Yay, Moses. Hey, we got a good move on our part. And God was like, that's not so. Because now they're going to start looking to you for everything I want to do through you. And then we come on down the line to Elijah. Elijah is the, prophet, is the prophet of reform. He is the restoration prophet. He is the one that, that eventually gets the whole nation to repent. Now, God gives Elijah, because he's substance. See, I'm talking about being substantiated and letting Jesus' substance take over your existence. Stop trying to be you to prove to everybody how free you are in Jesus. Stop trying to be you to prove to everybody you don't really need the Holy Ghost. Stop trying to be you to show everybody you have the authority of the believer. You can do this. See, the authority of the believer is what struck that rock. Shall we bring water out of the rock for you? So you need to stop trying to prove to God that you are his equal in, in, in all respects. You are not his equal in any respect except in your nativity. Everything else, you got, to learn, you got to learn and earn, learn and earn, learn and earn. And God makes you earn every power he gives you and every ability and every faculty upgrade. He makes you earn it. So that he can make sure that while you're earning, he's burning off that flesh. He's burning off that flesh. You are, my baby, you are a constant burn offering. He keeps, as you get a little, little healing, little recovery, he starts burning again. Okay, oh, look at, is this Jesus? I smell flesh. I thought we got that. Okay, back on the altar again. Bang! You on the altar in heaven and going through hell on earth. <laughs> Because remember, he's not letting a germ of what they got out back into his world. And if it's in you, the Holy Ghost is going to do with you what he did with Adam. See, because we tell, we preach this thing wrong, which is why you became casual, you became irreverent, you became downright rebellious and insulting to the Holy Ghost. When Adam ate from that tree, God left. He exited his body. Y'all didn't catch that. Yeah. <laughs> I like this little guy. <laughs> God exited his body. And Satan entered. Now, if God exited Adam, 
Hallelujah. And Adam did not even know what he was doing. What makes you think that God's not going to exit you? When sin was put on Jesus Christ, his spirit went back home. Second Corinthians 7 says that you can, you can literally, um, <clears throat> you can make, uh, sully or dirty your new creation spirit. If it's dirty, it can't go. I don't care what anybody tells you. And I want you to look in your mirror with your little raggedy, coochie-cutting jeans. I want you to look in there, and I want you to ask yourself, is this eternal attire? <laughs> and if it's eternal attire, what location in eternity will it thrive? I'm not afraid of, of, of culture. I promise you I could care less about culture in the sense of trends and fashion. I don't care about that. I know that fallen devils, and I know that fashion is a tool of deception, seduction, and destruction. I know that. And so as we go on, you know, I'm having a blast today. But I want you to understand, so you have to ask yourself, because see, your pastor tells you you can wear it to church, but can you wear it to the throne? Your pastor tells you that God doesn't mind, but will he let you in? And you know why you'll never get to the throne in that outfit? Not because the outfit will be going with you, because we know everything goes to the dust in return. You can't get there because you believe in it, and you believe contrary to his desires. And when you believe contrary to God's desires, he concludes that you are already overtaken by his adversary. And thus, he excises you from his congregation. So he's not going to give you eternal life when you don't even believe in his way of life in this world. So I know people tell you, but I don't care what she said. You don't have to care what I say, baby. All I'm going to tell you is this. Here's what I want you to understand. There are some things that are absolutes, and if you can't beat those absolutes, and I'm not talking about moral absolutes, because moral absolutes are determined and concocted by humans. But there are certain things. You can't stop yourself from getting AIDS. You can't stop yourself from getting old. You can't stop yourself from dying when you get sick. You can't heal your body. You can't restore your original limb. There are way too many absolutes for your perception to be correct. You all, some of you right now, standing in the hospital asking God to heal your baby, you look at every kind of way that he doesn't want. If he heals your child, it's his mercy because that kid has a purpose and a destiny, not because he approves of you. I am what I am by the grace of God. And I'm glad that I have this grace. See, because you all are still dealing with a religion, you're dealing with your pastors, you're dealing with your church, but that's not who's going to save you. That's not who's going to get you out of here. And you are ignoring, snubbing the Holy Ghost, snubbing him like he is trash. But it's the Holy Spirit who must validate you, corroborate your righteousness, your holiness of heart. See, it's one thing to say, well, you know, I can't, I, I, can't, I, I don't have any clothes to wear. First of all, people do what they want to do. I've never heard of it. And when I go past, because we got these little churches, that, you know, these little um, ones are all in the supermarket, they're all the same kind of church, and you go into those people, act like they are going to a club and going to a party or going to a park. They're not coming to Jesus. And you know what they say? Well, but we still get worship. Yeah, I know. You get the push-button machine. But God does not bring you into his presence, and you don't know that until you hit calamity. 
You don't know that until you buck up against his will and you realize you're praying, 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 and it's a bronze sky. It's a dead ceiling. That's how you know. Because when God feels welcome, the environment, climate is fertile. It's fervent. It's open. It's, it's, it's a, a minimal. And, and God allows you to do a whole lot of things. So, but, but because you're not dealing with God, you're dealing with his religion. See, you want to tell us, we're, we're religious. We're religious because we say we, we're not going to walk around looking like Satan's girlfriend, Satan's boyfriend. We're religious. But religion is ignoring, is treating the author as if the author did not originate the text you claim to follow. I think y'all probably need a sip on that, don't you? See, let me tell you something. Righteousness is, is how you treat the author and how you venerate the work or regard the work. That's why we have laws against plagiarism and theft of intellectual property. So you need to recognize that I am not talking about that. I'm like Paul. I've been in this man's world. I've seen how it works. I've seen him in all of his splendor and all of his glory. I've watched how he only has to think a thing, and some creatures don't see to it that he gets it. That's an example of David having a servant that breaks through the ranks to bring him water because he desires it. That is how Jesus lives all the time. He doesn't want for anything because the people are so thankful to him that they're always standing by and on guard, posed or poised rather to give him what he wants. This is good stuff. So let's go. I know you thought I forgot, but Elijah. So God gives Elijah all these powers. Well, doesn't he? He has the power of appearing and disappearing. He's got the power of teleporting. He's got the power of causing earth to obey his voice and bringing down destruction or providing anything he wants. He has power over the natural world, and it wasn't an art. It was the act of his suffering. So Elijah, like Moses, but more like Enoch, when his course was over, because you ever notice nobody can find tell you anything about Elijah. You got to read read what he did and just kind of you know, and no, we just Tish by what's that? Where's Tish? You know, is it where's Tish or is it Tish B? We don't know. But when Elijah finished dumping the part of his substance that remained for earth to keep his mantle and his ministry in the planet, God took it. And this time God sent for him to let us know, let us know, I love Jesus. So Enoch just walks on over. Moses climbs a mountain. Because God and Moses get mountains all the time. So I kind of think that was their thing, you know, the mountains. And then, but Elijah was in a, a, I'm telling you, the futuristic cosmic side of creation because he sends chariots of fire. Now, they don't know light. They don't know fusion. They don't know energy. They don't know any of those things as they're writing this. So all they can see is radiance. The brilliant radiance, and they and they come as chariots because that was the, the dominant mode of transportation, but also of warriors. 
See, he went out as a warrior. So the angels that have been backing him said, okay, you're done. We're done. We're leaving. Out. And we come all the way down to the Lord Jesus Christ. The consummate son of God. The one who gave all of these prophets these powers. Now, I don't know about you, but I read my Bible and I see that extraordinary powers were given to prophets. Not the kings. The only king that had power was David. And that was, Jesus came from David's lineage. Everybody else had the law. And the law didn't give power. But the word of God did. That's part of what he wants. We would have that. If we had a roundtable discussion right now, we'd we'd walk through some of these these truths that need to be. I'm going somewhere. So we end up with Jesus comes. And he's got the spirit of his father and the soul of his mother. The spirit of his father is, in fact, the same spirit of Godhead. And it's the spirit that he obviously expressed all down the ages, dispensing in heaven's eternal powers and potencies to various vessels. Now, these are the ones who made the scripture. We don't know how many there are since we know the scripture has been hacked a couple through ten times. But we do know There's enough there to give us an example of the future of the new creation church. Now, I'm saying this because these are things that God has been telling me and showing me as I go along. Number one, he's never going to give power to the dirty kids, the dirty boys, the dirty girls, the dirty this. He's not going to do it. He's just not because if he does that, then he's empowering his enemy. So he's never going to have, you can go there and say, I come the way I am, God. I know I'm not looking right. I know I'm tired of tears and God, and I know I did it since I've been with you. But, Lord, I've kept your name. God, like you can, the first thing my name said is thou shalt not make covenants in your body for another God. Let's go with that. We could just start basing, but you don't know his word. You cannot come closer to God than you are to his scriptures. Because it's the scripture. We're going to talk about that when I do my class on the word. His scriptures are how he does everything. They are not just ink on paper and etchings and hard surfaces. His scriptures are literally the substance of the angels of the seven churches that he sent here to cover us. They are the scriptures. They are the word. Oh, my God. I'm just getting caught up again. Let me just. Hallelujah. And so you can go and say, but you know what, I can sing. Just because you can exercise your talent doesn't mean God approves it. Just because you can sing doesn't mean God is pleased. Because, see, you sing, humans, we're dead in trespasses and sins. We only hear your talent when you sing. But when you're singing and God listens, he hears the voices of the other spirits that are controlling you. So your, your sound to him is mixed. Hybrid Christianity, you think that because you're okay with being half Christian and half Islam, that God is? That's not, God's not, no, because God understands the original spirit that he assigned to be Islamic. You cannot impose your blind conclusions on the all-seeing, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. You can't do it. See, God's omnipotent. He's not looking for any information. He doesn't need it. He's waiting for you to happen upon the information that he has. 
So you can do it. I mean, you all could do that. And listen, I don't, you know, I don't really, really fight with folks. Because first of all, when I'm when you come and I'm looking in your eyes and said, oh, God, this, this shit is bull. Share they both. And y'all be coming to me like like the 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 the, uh, the spirit when they came to Jesus. The man gets out the boat, legions right there. <laughs> okay, had a good little nap, legions right there. Okay, coming walk past a person, devils flare up. It took me a while to know that I was doing that. I was like, oh, man. Then you got to turn around, cast them, bind them, something. It's got to happen. And, you know, and sometimes they just look at me and walk past me. The last plane I was on, hey, I had so many devils, I was like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to need to call up the blood. I need to call up the blood. Did you, did you see? Man, they were all over the place. And I don't mean just physical. I mean, you could see everything people were in. He said, you see this? He said, this is what I look at all day long. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus comes and he does what the rest of them do. He exercises and he demonstrates that he is the author of all of it by performing every one of their acts and feats. Every one. Visiting with his father every night, showing up in the morning for work. I'm like, ooh, Jesus, that'd be cool. <laughs> Got to be on time for work. You know, God's not going to make you late. I know y'all say he does, but he doesn't. God's not the late God. Okay, but then he turns around and he he does all of that. They getting ready to kill him. He but he disappears like Elijah did. The king said, "I'm gonna come, and when I come back, you will have been off on some other side of the country." I know this. Okay, he does it with uh, with Philip, the evangelist, because now he's opening this up to the church. In the Old Testament, he did. But now he he, he got Philip. He Philip taking the Holy Ghost Express to preach the gospel and but save his money on tickets for days. Oh, Jesus, can I have that, honey man? Now we share that book. Because you know what? I hate flying commercial airlines. The planes are cramped. The bathrooms stink. The, uh, the, it's like, man, it's like how I used to ride the bus in the ghetto now. I'm like, it smells bad. You're uncomfortable. You're going to be next to the guy who has six martinis on every leg of his journey who wants to say, <laughs> he got so much to say. I'm like, why don't y'all give them mints with their drinks? Scope, <laughs> mouthwash, something. <laughs> but you have to recognize that God gave, he gave these apostles all kinds of stuff. And how did he do it? By the angels assigned to them. And the class of angels assigned to you determines your classification or declassification in the mysteries and in the concealed things of God. So some of y'all still walking around with that just came out the womb of salvation angel for 40 years. Oh. You get a prayer through, etc. But you have to be with this man. And you have to prove that you are worthy, that you he can trust you with his power, he can trust you with his secrets, he can trust you with his latitude, his privileges, the discretion. I have an amazing discretionary latitude, but baby, I paid some bloody prices for it. I want you to understand, because God's not about to lose. See, we don't realize God is a champion, period. So if anything is going to threaten his, his, his title, any one of them, all millions of them he got, he's not going to use it. I 
want to read something. So, Dr. Price, where did you get this? I'm on improvers. Where did you see? Where did you get this? I got a place. I got a place. I got it. Shared it with um, Chief Prophet yesterday. I got a revelation. Open your Bible if you have one near. If you got a the device, you got a Bible. I'll take the digital. Now, I have been, come on, prophet, apostle. Isn't my prophet out there? Okay. Um, I was so stuck. Revelation 1, because, you know, every year God makes me go through the book of Revelation. And if you don't know, now you know. Every year I got to do it. Uh, no matter what, I fall into it, stumble over it, but I end up every year. Hello, brother. <laughs> and so I'm reading um, Revelation 1, uh, chapter 1, and I'm thinking, because remember, Revelation is powerful because John is his apostle, the only one that died of natural causes. He served God so faithfully, God wouldn't let Satan take him out. Oh. So he just died of being old. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now, I really like that because Jesus shows up as a hologram. And the angel is embodying the hologram. So Jesus is literally showing John, not only did I make it back, but listen, we're doing well. Keep at it. Now, they have sent John to die, and Jesus is like, well, you're not going to die because you didn't finish all I got. Because see, John filled of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He filled. He says, so let me give you the next piece of the archive, because this is stuff that's which to earth has come to pass, and in heaven it has passed. See, that's how you understand God's word. You understand prophecy like that. In earth it's coming to pass, but in God's world it's already passed, because God's already at the Omega. So verse 2, this is what I understood about apostleship. You young apostles, I want you to lean in, especially my millennial apostles. I want to, listen, I want to meet you guys. I want to sit with you all. I want to get you ready for what's to come. So I want you to lean in because this is good stuff. Come on, lean I'm leaning. <laughs> okay, here's John, verse 2. And it says, unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things he saw. Now, I have been reading this mm. passage for decades. As you know, I've been in God's service over three decades. So I've been reading a long time. And I was reading it, and the Holy Ghost stopped me when I was teaching yesterday morning, I mean, studying yesterday morning, and he said, Read that again, and I read it again. He said, read it again and read it again. So I did. You know me. I'm going to read it again and again because I'm going to read it as long as it takes. He said, now, look at what you're not seeing. And he caused me to focus in on the word bear record. Now, many of us, when we see bear record, we, we, our mind mentally flips it to B-E-A-R. But that is not what is written here. What is written here is B-A-R-E. Like bare naked. Get that water. I got this there. Because I know y'all need to kind of, don't you need to just kind of, come on, inhale, exhale. <laughs> Baby, I do that with the Lord Jesus Christ. I said, Jesus, I'm out. I'm done, sweetheart. I'm gone. I'm 
can't even hold it. And the Holy Ghost does like he did with the, with the rest of the angels. He just touched me, get a little stronger. Come on, let me strengthen you so you can take it. Back on your feet. Because, you know, you have to be strengthened to take the word of God. You got to be strengthened for divine visitations. That's why you either get them when you're on your deathbed or you get them after you finish with a fast and, and strengthen. Jesus had to be strengthened. So anyway, so he said, but that doesn't read that. It reads B-A-R-E, not B-E-A-R. So you don't, so the apostle is not just a carrier of God's word and the host by substantiation, but the apostle is also the person who uncloses it, who denudes it, who disrobes it. And so what does that mean? It's, it, it, the word of God is in mantle, and the apostle is powerful in God, the ones that are real, and they get to disrobe God's record. Not just the word, the record of the word of God. Jesus. Not just the words Jesus spoke, but the record, history of God's word, destiny of God's word. That is, and that is why God makes them stewards of his mysteries. And purveyors as well as verifiers of his truth. But you can't do that without the word of God. See, because right now, I'm looking, listen, my young, young apostles, my millennial apostles, listen to me. My millennial prophets, listen to me. Please hear me. The reason Satan wants you out of the word is because you, he wants you to bear his record instead of God. He wants you, that's why you go into all of these shaman meetings and you go into all of these astrology parties and all of that stuff. That is not God, and it's not God because we're not talking about religion. We're talking about the preference of a sovereign. Mm. And what the sovereign rejected for himself, thus his kingdom, thus his citizens. And so John bear record. Now, I'm still breaking the seal on this because clearly God is saying as an apostle, how can you bear a record you don't know? Wow. How can you disrobe what you have no access to? We're talking about the man's chronicles, annals, archives. We can go down the line. And how is he getting them? Because he's watching Jesus and whatever. I mean, obviously, John was ready to be online. He and Jesus have been busy because he told him to write certain things down. But most of it, then some things Jesus told him, don't write it and body it so that you can bear it as a burden and bear it as a revelation. That's why he could call it that. Hmm. Okay, who wants to go first? I'm going to let y'all pick. <laughs> she, okay. okay. Today was really, really powerful. I I think if there's anything I would say, maybe let's go back to and have your visit with us. You talked about that the word gave power, that the word is what gave power and not the law. And I thought maybe let's revisit that and she can elaborate on that a little bit since that was powerful today. Well, the law regulates or uses word to regulate behaviors, to regulate law conduct, the beliefs, values, and uh, also to legislate, to legislate privileges, to legislate penalties, to legislate procedures, um, adjudication, all of that. So until you take your word and you 
give it the power of law, which means a body is literally appointed to make that word obligatory on every citizen and on every practice and every word. It's just conversation. It's the difference between someone giving you a sermon and giving you a book. Your sermon is a word, but the book constitutes that word that is now, uh, uh, I want to say, uh, perpetuated, permanent. And that's what laws do. Laws take thoughts in the moment uh, or, or responses and deliberations in the moment, and it makes them permanent so they can be imposed on everyone that is affected by it. So the Bible said the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus came as the author of the law. He came mm-hmm. as the vessel of the sovereign of creation who, whose preferences, whose ideas, whose ideologies, whose will designed that law, whose desires literally imposed them upon Moses, who then took that law and made it enforced. So we got imposed imposition and we got enforcement. And so as we look at the Bible, it said, but grace and truth, because I kept wondering, well, what does that mean? I mean, the law came by Moses and grace and truth by Jesus. What does that mean? What's grace? What's truth? What mean? Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, a person. Mm. But how is the world going to know this single individual is the way, the truth, and the life? By, by writing, recording his words. That's why the work of the apostles in the beginning was so vital to the success of the salvation plan, the recovery plan, the take-back plan that God was going to have. But we had to have everybody doing it the same way. Satan takes out nations with an individuality mm-hmm. yes. and, and free will. Those are the two takeouts, individuality and free will. And because he brings it down to whether we all can dress the same, whether we all can live the same place, because he brings it down to that, he, he, he bypasses the original generated place. And that is not what how it shows up, but how it germinates, and then how who enforces it. For the church, God gave the church seven angels. I know you heard the evangelical tell you that it's seven pastors. It's not because pastors died. So what pastors applied to them, but it didn't. So it couldn't be. It could not be temporal people. It couldn't be mortal. It had to be immortal beings. And so could they, they keep the standard for the king, and the king embodies his creatures. They embody his angels. Hmm. Oh, somebody didn't hmm. Like he embodies us. I will walk in them. I will talk in them. I will, but they will be my people, and I will be their God. That's embodiment. That is not conversation. That is not just simple education, information. That is embodiment. In other words, he's getting ready to wind and, 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 and fuse his DNA that has his consciousness, his character, his capabilities, etc. he's getting ready to now literally infuse human DNA with that via the Holy Ghost. So the, the, what we don't get is that the law is not in the building. You know, police officers are in their vehicles, and they call that, you know, the law. They're in their, their cars. They're in their offices. But it doesn't matter. They can be in their um what do you call it, off-duty clothes? Mm-hmm. And guess what? That's when you find out it's in them. The training is to put it in you so you become the substance, the essence, and not just 
a host or not just a, a what do you call it when they do that, um, an, an enforcer. You have to know because you have to make judgment calls. See, the law is, is there. That means you got to do it. Thou shall not. But you have to make judgment calls. Your desire to dress contrary to the kingdom of Christ and to his displeasure, that's a judgment call. You judged his feelings on that, and you decided it was not worth your free will or your liberty. You think Jesus' laws or his preferences are an infringement on your free will. My mind. Amen. Oh, okay, there was one really quote, one really good quote that I'll pull out from today, too. Yeah, I filled up my, my whole page with notes. Yeah. Um, I just like how you talked about earlier that before constitutions were on paper, they were in people. I think that that gives a lot of power to what you've been talking about, about creation being a being. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can be hard when you, when you hear something like that, it's hard to to wrap your mind around that. The same way it is it's difficult to wrap your mind around the fact that truth is a being and yes. not a concept because of what we've always been taught. But I think that that statement helps to bring that together. You know, we understand that before a principle can be something on paper, it has to be something lived. Exactly. So I think that, that that was really important to that discussion of just connecting those dots, really just really powerful. This is definitely one of those um, shows to replay because there were so many aspects of what you were saying, and I think that replay will help you to connect all the dots with what you discussed mm-hmm. today. Um, but that, that creation is a being conversation is really, really important, and I think that it, it goes with that. Well, you know what's in our class, right? Around. We teach it in APB. Uh, That's right, Christ University. Christ, Christ University. University. It's a class, uh, Apostolic Prophetic Bible Education, APB. Yeah. And that's where they, well, I don't know if they learned it, but maybe they heard it. Um, that's where you taught it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Oh, hallelujah. you taught it. Hey, no offense, Christ, you students, you know I love you. She taught it. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I wanted to really bring out. You said with that, Jesus does not have a religion. He has citizens. Uh, again, bringing everything full circle because we've been talking about on this show that Christianity is not a religion. Um, you know, it's our it's our status as naturalized citizens yeah. of the kingdom. So I thought it was so important in bringing those all together. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, Christianity is literally our constitution. We're made of the Godhead. But Jesus has no religion because he's a person. He has existence. He has sovereignty. And his, what, we, what Jesus calls sovereignty, we use the term religion to discredit and dismiss because his preferences don't matter. Because when you study sovereignty and you study monarchs and all of that, when you start really understanding that, like she said about the, 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 the principles being on paper, well, somebody had to put it on paper. And if they put it on paper, it had to come from a being. And it had to come from a mind. And it had to come from their thoughts. It had to be processed and cogitated. And then it had to be organized on paper for performance sake. Not just literary sake. Right. For performance sake. A lot of these scholars and a lot of these universities, because you're not watching on Netflix and whatnot, they would have you to believe that this is all about literature. And it is. It is the literature 
of a being who wants to share his thoughts and hopefully inspire humans to buy into what caused him to reign forever. So, yeah, there's literature, man. I love those stories. You know, the, the Ruth story, God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Ruth. Bless Ruth, the girl that didn't give it up or give it in until she got it all. Hallelujah. <laughs> Now, there's a new way to say it. You know, like, I love that. <laughs> you know, I mean, because some of you all, y'all give it all before you get anything, and then get mad because some woman who did who gave nothing gets it all. Right. See, y'all be upset about that. <laughs> See, that, I've been with him 10 years, and then he go and sneak off and get married on me. Yeah, well, you asked for it. You did. Because you were with him hoping that if you gave him everything he could desire, Without marriage, he would want it to go on, but you don't realize you've exhausted his appetite for you. Oh, oh my. You realize that you can exhaust people's appetite for you. And if you're not the one, that comes quickly. And a lot of times, I know some of y'all, he went off and got married and didn't tell you. And so you still kept being the side candy with a hope that will never happen, a hope that is passed on to the woman who was worthy of his exclusivity and his discrimination. Now, that doesn't make him right, but guess what? It is what you did. (laughs) You know? It is what you did. And so we, you know, we can do that. And so many times when you think about, um, you know, the idea, you had a picture in your mind, he had a picture in his mind, was not the same picture. That's how it is with Christ in the church. The church has a picture in their mind and Jesus has one in his mind. And guess what? Not the same picture. <laughs> not even. You know, and the, the reason that you are teetering on this is because you cannot believe God has a world. And citizens, that you are not this first word. Earth is not God's first. Look at all them planets out there. And they said this this one had life. This looks like it could have had life. This ought to be able to support life. What happened to him? Jesus was done with Devil had him. He got him out. He saved him for the saints when he raptures us and brings us into our glory. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> You're like, no, her words, do you ever stop? <laughs> there is no end. No. Did you want to say something else? <laughs> no, I, those were the main things I wanted to bring out. I'll save some things for Papa Ashley over there. We, we don't have enough time. <laughs> I have started. Okay. 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 And a question. Okay. I'm ready. You're ready. Where? In the place where you talked about being a slave to God, please expound on what that means, especially as African Americans, where you say the word slave. And we go down a whole different road. Yeah. And then that's not God, that can't be God, and all those other things. Well, Paul said he was Jesus' bondservant. Mm-hmm. That meant slave. And he was a slave that was literally bonded as in fusion, as well in, as bonded as in affirmed or authenticated. Because a lot of people claim to be, you know, apostles back then. Mm-hmm. And so Paul said he's God's bondservant. And, you know, David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. You know, so if, if Jesus is not sovereign, if, first of all, if he doesn't exist, all of this here is just relevant to you. It doesn't mean anything. It's just it's, it's a conversational and debate fodder. Because the people 
to whom Jesus reveals himself. And he chooses. It's an arbitrary thing on his part. It's his prerogative. They know him to be A, alive, B, in charge, and C, sovereign enough to say, if you're going to serve me, you're going to do it my way. Mm. Now, the whole basis of, of kingship and monarchy is that the God of the land fuses with a, a, a person that he or she chooses to reproduce in itself or appropriate itself in mortal form, in human vessels. That's the whole basis of it. Mm-hmm. See, because sometimes we need to go back to the roots. So part of my issue with, um, what was it, the movie? Um, which one? The, 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 the one with the black guy that everybody falling about. Oh, Black Panther? Yes. My issue with that is because that movie and all of those people that you see on that side hill, they are all symbols of the deities of the land. Yes. And so one deity wants you with your mouth way out. Another one wants you with your ear flows on your breast. Another one wants you with your another one because those are how each deity is the truth. What? You be you, go ahead. Okay. Because each deity wanted to distinguish their race and their population from the others. And because it's a polytheistic, any polytheistic environment will have a bunch of deities and a pantheon. That's what they're trying to do now is to put Jesus Christ, their maker, in a pantheon. Yes. So the first thing you need to understand is that the God of the land visits the person and tells them how to become naturalized citizens to them. Okay? That's how we do it. Now, from those naturalized citizens, as we see in, in the book of Death, uh, Deuteronomy, because this thing is laid out by God, then they choose a leader, uh, the leadership structure, you know, thousands, 50, however way we do it. And so in order to serve the God of the land, you have got to covenant that the God of the, first of all, you have to acknowledge that that deity keeps you alive, mm. takes care of your survival, your providence. So you've got to acknowledge that. Once you acknowledge it, if you acknowledge it and believe it as opposed to acknowledge it and dismiss it, then that deity will put you in power over its people. They will just put you in power. And so in putting them in power, the idea is that you never you will never be superior to a divine being. Which means they own your life. They they control your air, the air you breathe, the how you live, how your blood flows, how your body is. They help you win wars. They hide you in damage and times of destruction. They do all of that because they control your mortal self. Mm. And that control makes you a slave because you cannot reciprocate. You cannot give them back anything of equal value for what they give you. You just can't. You don't have it. All you can give them is some praise, some obedience, mm-hmm. few offerings, and some kids. That's what they want. So now when we talk about slaves, we're talking about the, the, the whole slave system began with deities. That's what, you know, today the battle is making everything humanist so that Satan can take out humanity because he, he, he had a problem with all those divinities. had a problem with Jesus as God. Because in, in that era, everything was about the, the, the gods, the deities. In this era, everything is about humanity deifying itself. Mm. That's true. Wow. So 
But but Jesus' joke is, well, then keep yourself. Let me say, grow some hair. Mm. Hey, grow a tooth. What he said, he said in Isaiah to these deities, show me that you're something, show me that you live. Do something, do something. He's right, do something, do anything, good or evil, just do something to prove that you're equal to me. Well, obviously, it was silence in the earth. And so, <laughs> and so as we go on, so when we say, when the first thing you have to recognize is that until a deity adopts you, you're a slave. And they can enslave whomever they will by their power. We see that in Genesis 6. By their power, they can enslave anything, anybody they want. They, and they did. They took the women, made some children, suppressed the sons of Adam, and take off. So when, when, when you come to Jesus, Jesus said, I am not going to make you a compulsive slave. Though I can't. He said, but I made you. I know how to persuade you beneath your subconscious and make you desire me. <laughs> Sound a little personal down there. And so every, every he works your subconscious, converting your Adamic nature, your Adamic will and conditioning to his own because he's taken out the Adamic spirit and he put his own in there. And he put the spirit of the citizen of his of his world, and so he naturalizes you as a citizen of the nation of Jesus Christ. That's why he said, "I'll walk in you, talk in you. I will put my laws in your heart and your mind." He said, "I'm doing all of this because Satan couldn't do that. He had to put another being in you, Ooh. which is what God did. But he did not put the sovereign being or the maker." Inside you, he put one of his fallen angels whom he'd already enslaved. So God is like, I'm going to tell you, you don't have to. You don't have to worry about me forcing you to do things against your will that will destroy you. I might, you know, if, if, if you fulfill purpose, because we forget God, when God's done with something, like we are with the mixer for the cake, we put it, put it away. You know, the drill for the wood. So he's saying to them, the slave piece comes in where you choose to be a bond servant, or or if you don't, see God gets you in the early days, so mm-hmm. He can grip you in those later ones. So He gets you in the early days. I just love you, Jesus. Anything you want, Lord, take it. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all laughing because it was all us. Baby, and then he comes down now. to give me Isaac. Uh-uh. No. Uh-uh. No. And we assume that Isaac was a little baby, but he was. He was a grown man. I mean, at least grown enough to know that his father's about to kill him. Yeah. And so, but, oh, God starts asking for your heart's desire, or he starts putting that, because he starts, what he does is he starts with his uh, sword, he starts cutting away. He's flaying the flesh away from the spirit and the soul that he's getting ready to assume for himself. Because your spirit's job, your new creation spirit's job is to change your soul. And so he's doing that, okay? And he t- and you're like, uh-uh, Jesus, don't touch that. But then you tell me that I can do what I want. Well, yeah, but that yeah, was but that. My, yeah, not that. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. Listen, Jesus, I had your bag in my closet with your name on it. The Jesus bag. The Jesus bag. This is what I will give you, Jesus. 
I don't understand why you didn't pull anything out of that bag. He said, that's what you wanted to give me. You didn't ask me what I wanted to take. Now you're bumping into sovereignty, and he can take what he wants because he's going to take whatever's going to get in his way. You can say all day long, God, I can manage this and this and this. Uh-uh. God's like, I need you to not manage. I need you to prioritize me being number one. So it's at that point that you become a slave to Christ because you can't keep yourself alive. Bible said we're hidden in Christ. He said, you, okay, you cannot keep yourself alive. You can't pay for yourself. You can't buy yourself back from Jesus Christ. He's got to throw you away. Wow. See, that's how that works. And these are the things that people should be taught. Do you think I answered the question? Yes. So he said, I'm a, I am a sovereign. I am your God. I am your father. I am your creator. I am your maker. I am your redeemer. I am the one who passed you from death to life. So the reason you live today is not because you beat death. The reason you live today is because I beat death. Ah! Come on, somebody. <laughs> You have yet to beat death. You can't defeat death now. You sitting here every day scared of this. Scared somebody gonna shoot you. Scared somebody gonna break in. He said, I take. I, I, I bear your fear because I know that Satan cannot do anything that I don't permit him to do. And I know you think that because it's just one you and one devil and one me that 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 you are the only one that I have to deal with. But I do this with angels. I do this with spirits. I do this with my world. I am keeping this whole thing alive. Mercy. By my word. Because I want it. One more quote, and then we're taking money. Collecting an offering. Okay, when you. Oh, you say God is not convertible. Holy means safe and healthy for God's well being. Yeah, we have this all wrong. Yeah. Because it's all about us. But it it's about us, baby. Yeah. It's all about the people. Yeah. They don't care if they have a land or not. <laughs> or God protecting them. I thought that was a great statement. Yeah. And so, and it's really a good one because when you, the apostle and prophet is going to make you, compel you, if they are faithful, because there are some that are not, compel you to be faithful to Christ. They're going to drive you to him. They're going to talk about him nonstop. They're going to teach you how to refer to him, defer to him, confer with him. You understand the fur, isn't it? That's what they're going to do because they they literally are his substance and his substantiated appendages. You know, I was reading about diplomacy. Uh, We got this, you know, I got all these books. So I was reading about diplomacy, and in one of the statements it says that I, the, the diplomat, is the sovereign's personal representative. Mm-hmm. Personal. That means if nobody else is going to be trusted with the sovereign's thoughts, will, mind, behaviors, ideas, ideals, that, that ambassador will be. And apostles are ecclesial ambassadors. Yes. God has set these in the church. Because you know they didn't start out in the church. They started out in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. 
Well, it's time for you to do what you do. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. It's time to give. Rachel's going to put the information on the screen, and I'm going to yeah. go through it with you now so you know the different ways that you can give today. You know this is good, and it's time for us to sow a seed. So you can do that via the Cash app. The handle there is Dr. Paula Bright. You can also sow via PayPal.me slash Dr. Paula Bright, or you can text again, 9186. My brain just froze. <laughs> yes, nine one eight six zero eight one three seven eight. Brain, I'm free. Look, I'm going to help you. <laughs> <laughs> like if you don't know. <laughs> you will not play the senior six six after burying it is eons, literally Enoch eons of revelation.
and I command the harvest on the seed that you have sown to me in Jesus that I take barrenness off your seed. I take sabotage off your seed. I take failure off your seed. Infertility, everything that was stolen. I'm calling your seed up. I see it right now, growing through the ground. I see the green blade coming through. I command your harvest from the courts, uh, from the banks, uh, from the errors, from the failures, from the system. I call your and I push forth harvest in your sphere of life. And when your harvest comes, sow again. And don't sow it to who didn't pray this prayer. Sow it to me. Do not divert my harvest to someone you like. Because that is unfair. That's like giving the wages of one person to another who didn't work for them. I bless you today. We'll meet again on Sunday at the Congregation of the Mighty where God stands. God bless you.